All right, y'all can be seated. Our preschoolers, you guys can be dismissed to your class. So Robertsons are back there in the back for y'all. Preschoolers can be dismissed. Kindergarten and up, we're going to stay in the room. And if you are staying in here, I want to encourage you to take out a copy of God's Word if you have one with you. If not, we'll have verses on the screens behind me. But if you do have one, uh, pull it out. If not, what is the next step? Find someone close to you. Sit, sit closer to them so you can look off of that. And, uh, and then maybe Jude on his way back in will bring you a Bible. If, uh, oh, he didn't hear me. Um, <laughs> he may bring you one on his way back in. Uh, so thankful to be able to, to open God's Word and, uh, and turn to 1 Timothy this morning. We are not in a sermon series right now. That will begin next week. We will be preaching through the book of Philippians uh, beginning next Sunday, and for 10 or 11 weeks, we will be walking through that book verse by verse, focusing on the theme of joy, and I'll explain more of that uh, this week and next. But this morning, we're in 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. Now, as you begin a new year, um, talked about it a little bit last week, uh, sent an email about it, um, maybe some of you have either resumed or, or began some, some Christian practices. Uh, typically, a lot of Christians will begin reading through the Bible, uh, and they try to read through the whole Bible in one year, and they begin at the beginning of the year on January 1st. And uh, maybe some of you have not, uh, you know, had a consistent prayer life, and so maybe you've, you know, at the beginning of the year just resolved to say, hey, this year I want to set a goal of praying more regularly, and you've started to do that. Uh, you know, a couple things about that. First, it is very easy to lose sight of why we do those things. Why? It, because it, it doesn't save us, you know? We don't believe that we're reading the Bible, and we think if we just gain enough knowledge, then God's going to love us. We know that he loves us because he chooses to love us. Why read the Bible? Well, it's just good to know stuff, you know? But those mornings whenever you're not really feeling like reading the Bible, just that conviction that, well, I mean, it's a good thing to do, it usually isn't enough. And that's, that's one reason why uh, we fail to continue to read the Bible. Or prayer. Prayer is even more difficult. Because at least with the Bible, all you have to do is convince yourself to open a book. And if you can open the book, the words are there. And if you can read, you, I mean, you've got it. There it is. Or an, an audible Bible even. Just turn it on and there it is. Prayer, you have to give the language. And so, you know, if you're not sure what the purpose of it is, or if you start to think, how easy is it for us to think, y'all? Like, God is in control. I'm, I'm about to tell him about this situation that's going on and ask him to do something. He already knows everything about it, you know? I mean, what's, what's the point of prayer? Have you ever thought that? What's the point? What's the point of reading the Bible? What's the point of praying? You know, and then you start to think about it, and you're like, I, do I really need to to go to church? Like, how necessary is that? It's, maybe you grew up in a tradition where people made you feel like if you missed church on a Sunday morning, you know, you were in danger of, like, losing your salvation, you know. And so, you know, you're, you're just, like, going against that now. And you're like, I mean, does it really matter that much? Or maybe you come all the time, but you still feel that way. And you think, like, I mean, what's the point in being here? And maybe you're sitting here. I've thought that sometimes. I've gotten to a place, like, spiritually, where you're even sitting here and you're, you're uh, listening to someone read Scripture or a sermon being preached or singing, and you're just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why, why am I even in this room? 
Those are important considerations, and I want to answer those questions this morning. Why? Why, why, do we, why should we do these things? Because we should, but why? Another thing about all that. Have you, have you ever asked yourself this, this, this question? How am I going to live like a Christian this year? How am I going to live like a Christian? And that's, that's an interesting question. Because sometimes I worry that our lives really, at the end of the day, don't look that much different from those who don't know Jesus. Have you ever had that concern for yourself? If you just took stock on a Friday, at the end of the day, if you just like got a piece of paper out, and all you were going to do is just write down all the things you did, not the things that happened, just stuff you did. I woke up, I ate breakfast. I brushed my teeth. Oh, I forgot to brush my teeth. Dang it. I better pick up gum on the way. Okay. Um, so I brushed my teeth. I go to work. I clocked in. I did my job. Um, had, you know, had some lunch. I went home. Uh, we, we did something with the kids or, you know, I watched the show. We went to bed. And every single day. And if you line that up with someone who's not a believer, how, how similar would they be? You ever thought about that? Just your daily practices. I'm not talking about like, you know, you're Christians, you're responsible for changing the world, you know, get out there and go change everything. Like, no, I'm just talking about your normal, regular, ordinary, everyday practices. What's the stuff you do? You know, because honestly, and it's challenging. Um, and, and the folks who went on our uh, latest mission trip to New Jersey attested to this. That was one of the biggest things that they pointed out when they came back. There is no question what Muslims practice in terms of their religion. And they practice it regularly, and they practice it faithfully. And at minimum, at minimum, there's a difference. Is there a difference in, in your daily practices and the daily practices of someone who doesn't even know Jesus at all? And I think I'm safe in saying there should be. There should be. And that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, I want to show you what God actually wants you to become this year and how that is the foundation for all of these practices that I'm going to call us to embody. And they're normal, ordinary, everyday, nothing new. You're not going to hear something brand new, so don't, don't feel like you have to take a million notes. It's not going to just blow your mind. But I need to show you the foundation of that. Why? Why read the Bible this year? Why pray? Hey, why maybe fast one time? You know, I haven't done that in a long time. Shocker, I know. Um, but uh, fast, serve, maybe sacrificially give if, if that's something that you could do this year. A, a, a spiritual practice, a spiritual habit that you've neglected for years. I want to encourage you to do them this year. But I can't do that unless I tell you why. Why? The things we're going to do as a church this year. Why are we doing them? You ever been in the, the fellowship hall eating lunch and you're like, why am I here? Like, I mean, it's nice, I guess, but like, what's the point? There is a deeply spiritual reason we do that. And I want to show you just by looking at 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10. We're going to do it by asking and answering three questions. Question one, what are we becoming? Question two, how do we become? And question three, why do we become? All right, let's look at them. What, what are we becoming? This is something that we all have to, to recognize. And we don't think about this very often, and we have to be reminded of it because it's something that kind of operates 
like beneath the surface in our lives. We are all, always, all the time becoming something. You are being shaped into the image of something every single day. We are all in process. What, what we do and how we do it determines what we become by and large. So you can say, I'm a believer, I'm in Christ, that is my identity. But if every single day you are doing something that is not Christian, what you will actually become is going to be different than someone who looks like the person whose identity is in Jesus. You know, if, if you eat three large meals every single day and never exercise... It doesn't matter how convinced you are of healthy living. What are you going to actually become? You will actually become unhealthy. This is probably one of the most important questions that we have to wrestle with. What kind of person am I becoming? If a non-believer spent some time with you this month, what characteristics would they see? What virtues, what vices? What practices, what disciplines? If they were familiar with Jesus, would they be reminded of him through your life? We need to realize that whether we're working toward it or not, whether we care about it or not, whether we think about it or not, we're being shaped into the image of something. Now, here's the thing. We actually own this as a church. We embrace this. The church as a whole embraces this because the mission of the church is to make disciples, and, and what we have said here is that we exist as a church to make disciples who love God and others, meaning that we exist to be transformed into a particular type of person, a person who is loving God and a person who is loving others. We're owning that. We're saying we know, and we want to intentionally do what it takes by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to become this type of person, a person who loves God, a person who loves others. Another way to say that is what Paul says here in 1 Timothy 4. We are meant to become godly. And that's a scary word for some of us. You hear godly and you, you have certain connotations that, that uh, come to mind that you use to relate with that word. But we don't need to complicate it too much. Um, godliness is at the center of this section here. Um, uh, godliness, one, one commentator that I read, he put it this way. He said, godliness defines Christian existence as the interplay of the knowledge of God and the outworking of that knowledge in appropriate ways. So it's like where your knowledge of God and who he is and what he has done meets practice, where, where doctrine meets culture, where doctrine meets practice. To be godly is literally to be like God. That's what it means. So if you have negative connotations associated with godliness, just understand the definition. There isn't too much negative with wanting to be like God. We should, we should be wanting to be like God. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's giving it as an expectation. It's a command. Be like God. Train yourself for godliness. This is the goal. Godliness is a reflection of the character of God. It is, it is the sum of our sanctified attitudes and actions. A godly person is someone who looks like God. Jesus. Now, this may be really important for you to hear at the beginning of a year, that I'm, I'm telling you the vision for your life this year is to become like Jesus, is to become godly. You may need to hear that because you might be feeling lost at the moment. 
Maybe you don't even know who you are anymore. You know, maybe you had a particular identity or way of living that was, was just pretty constant for a long time, and then something happened, something changed. And now you either have a new set of responsibilities or fewer responsibilities, and you're really struggling with, with who you are because your daily you know, decisions and, and actions and conversations even are, are different than they were before, and so maybe you just you feel lost. Um, maybe every time you go to school or every time you go to work, you just feel this like just inner pressure to be a certain way or be a certain type of person to, to fit in or, or advance or just survive even. And you may be feeling that. Maybe you've just lost a sense of clarity about what it means to even be a Christian. What does that mean? You believe in Jesus. Okay, yeah, but like, what does my, what's, what's it supposed to be? That, that happens all the time. The Christian life actually can be really daunting if you, if you read the New Testament. But the Christian life holds out a simple purpose for us. God expects and he empowers each and every one of us to become godly, to reflect the glory of Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He's basically saying the whole goal of your salvation, the goal of, of God's, God's choice of his, his people and, and the, whole, the whole stretch of redemptive history from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the whole goal of it is your conformity to Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that's the point of all of it, so that you would look like Jesus. That's refreshing news. In a world of endless social pressures to conform to various images, and not just social pressures like, oh, yeah, what they're doing on social media. I don't fool with that social media stuff. I ain't even got to worry about it. Or if you feel like you could delete your social media accounts and be set free from the social pressures. What about your parents? You're going to just delete them? Don't do that. What, what, what about your children? What about your friends? What about your coworkers and the pressures that they put on you to conform to a certain image? It may not even be a bad one, but you're under all this pressure all the time to, to be something, to create an aesthetic for your life that matches what other people will approve of. And, and here, God steps into the fray and he gives us this personal vision for our lives that transcends all of that rises above all of that. And he invites us and he empowers us to come and be like him. That changes how you think of people in your life who say, you need to be like me. Okay. God says that I'm supposed to be like him. That's the goal of your life in Christ. And Paul says that this godliness is supremely valuable. The greatest purpose in your life, you might could say. And everything else just kind of pales in comparison. That's what he says. Look at verse 8 in chapter 4. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness holds promise for our lives in the world now. Do you know what he's saying here? And, and, you know, in the past, I have really shied away from language like this because I've seen it misused and I've seen people uh, just led astray even through this type of language. 
But what he's really saying here is that your life is better when you reflect the character of Jesus. It's better. It holds pro- Godliness holds promise for this life now. I've always shied away from that because, you know, I would push back and be like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, Paul, he looked like he had a really great life there, suffering all the time and shipwrecks and all that. And, you know, that God, he hasn't promised you an easy life. And I never said easy life. Better. Paul is the one who said, I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. That's a better life than someone who's just sorrowful and hopeless. Godliness holds promise for our lives in the world now. Doesn't make life easier, but easy or difficult. Life is better when we reflect the truth, love, justice, mercy, kindness, patience, and peace of Jesus. Your family. Your family won't be better if you look more like Jesus. Your friends, your relationships, the way that your, your heart, the way that it approaches work and your career, it won't be better if you're reflecting the nature and character of Jesus. I love that he says this because he could easily just said the second part of this and it would have been equally true. But godliness holds promise for our lives now. Pursue it. Okay, so, but he says also, godliness holds promise for our lives in the world to come. And this is so empowering. One day, when Jesus comes back, and he's coming back, he is returning. And when he does, and he establishes his kingdom on earth in full, in something the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth, do you know what's going to happen? The whole earth will be filled with his glory. The whole earth, every corner of the earth, every land, every people. It will be filled with the glory of the Lord. How? That's not a metaphor. That, that in actuality, it really will be filled with the glory of the Lord. How? Because the whole earth will be filled with his redeemed people. Perfectly reflecting his glory. In other words, what Paul's saying here is that godliness stretches into eternity. And nothing else is like this. Whatever else you're training for, whether it's a good thing, like maybe you're training physically and you you want to be healthier, or a bad thing. Maybe you're training to earn the approval of everybody in your life just so that they will like you. Whatever whatever it is, it will will one day pass away. It, it It will fade. But a pursuit of godliness matters right now because its ultimate benefits will still be reaped 10 trillion years from now. This is what he's saying. It's of value, not just now, but for years to come. Your godliness will be perfected when Christ returns, but it will not fade away. It will remain, and it will be your glory in the new heavens and the new earth. So we need to be aware that we are becoming something, and we need to be awakened to the truth that God desires us to become godly, to become like him. All right, now, a key question here. How do we do that? How? I hope you're convinced, if not, reflect on it more today, that your main pursuit this year needs to be godliness. But how how can we do that? How do we become? If we're meant to become godly, how do we do it? Um, Now, first of all, how do you become anything? You know? Like, just how, how do you become anything? How do you become healthier or stronger, 
more educated, more bitter, um, more selfish, more isolated, more angry, like anything, positive, negative, how do you become anything? Well, we become anything, uh, not through what we know, but through what we do. Our most regular, most habitual actions form us into certain types of people. And as I said earlier, I have known for a long time the benefits of healthy eating and exercise, okay? If you're ever concerned about that, you know, I don't need the books. I, I, I got it. Don't send me a link. I, 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 you know, the information, it's right there. It's just locked and loaded. Got it. Um, I'm not becoming that because I'm not stepping on a treadmill. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm, I'm making jokes about salad instead of eating salad, you know? Um, that's, I'm not doing. I'm not doing. And so without the doing, there's no becoming. Like, that's, that's just how it works. Your regular, repeated actions transform you into a person that honestly just reflects those actions, regardless of what you know or don't know. So in order to become godly, we need to do something. And what does Paul say we need to do? It's awesome. He says, you need to train. Verse 7, look at it. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Don't waste your time with all that garbage, nonsense. Don't waste your time with it. Rather, train yourself for godliness. If we want to be godly, if we want to step into the reality that was created by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have to train. We have to work for it. And, and there's, there's no way around this either. In the Greek, the Greek word for train here, it refers literally to the physical training of athletes. The Greek word that's used there, it's where we get our word gymnasium. There's a sense in which Paul is literally saying here, go get in the gym spiritually. Go get in the gym. Get to work. Train yourself. Train, training in godliness. You could easily, it would be very faithful for you to translate that as exercise in godliness. There's one commentator who said, in the Greco-Roman moral discourse, athletic imagery was just as common as medical imagery. It serves to emphasize the effort that was demanded for progress toward greater virtue. Paul here he has been, throughout this letter, exhorting Timothy, giving him multiple commands because he cares so deeply about the man he's becoming. And the context of this is Timothy is a young pastor. He's a young pastor. Paul is his mentor, and he's giving him this advice and counsel. First, first Timothy, second Timothy, even uh, Titus. These, these are uh, traditionally called the pastoral letters, and they're written to churches. They're written to individuals uh, who are pastors, and they're encouraging them on what life should look like in the local church. But what Paul is saying here is that Timothy's effectiveness as a pastor is largely determined by the person he's becoming. So Paul is essentially saying here, Timothy, if you want to be a good and faithful servant, if you want to be faithful and fruitful in your ministry, you need to be a spiritual gym rat. Get in the gym, spiritually work, exercise, train, sweat, bleed. Why? For the purpose of godliness. So that he will be godly. So it's training. It's spiritual training that leads to godliness. Well, what does this training involve? Because if someone says, hey, why don't you come work out with me? I've learned not to automatically accept that invitation. Because if Brandon Weber 
or Reed offers that to you, or Corey offers that to you, hang on, who else? Um, now, especially those guys right there, they're right in a row just sitting here. If those guys ask you to, you may not live. Like, you better have Lucas on standby, like, just in case. Like, because there will be no saving you, you know? It will be over. It's death, guys. Like, it's awful. And I haven't even done it. I've just heard the stories. Like, that's it. Um, now, other folks, like uh, uh, Keith Robertson, he's like, hey, man, you want to go walk? And guess what he wanted to do? I believed in him. It was walking. Whew, it was awesome. We just walked. It was great. It was exercise. Uh, you know, um, so you have, to, you have to be careful with that. But we need to know what the training involves. So when Paul says, uh, you know, train yourself for godliness, what does it involve? Well, back up to verse 6. Back up to verse 6. Paul says there, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained, he gives us the answer, being trained in the words of the faith. And of the good doctrine that you have followed. This is most likely referring to the scriptures, the gospel, and also the, the oral tradition so far that had been given. The new revelation that is being written down as we speak here as the New Testament's being written. The traditional teachings of the church at this time. The words of faith, the good doctrine. Train yourself, Timothy, in the words of faith, in the good doctrine you followed. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Devote yourself to the gospel's doctrine. If you do you will become more godly. These things have an effect on our lives, not just our brains, but our hearts as well. And it leads to actions that reflect Jesus. In order to, to become like him, through God's grace, something that would be really helpful is to embody the practices of Jesus himself. Now, if you've, if you've never read Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, you need to get it. It's one, of, it's one of those few books that I, I would recommend to anyone at any time in their lives. Like, read it. And if you've already read it, just pick it up again and read it. It's, it's amazing. It's really helpful. Um, in his introduction, or in his first chapter, he quotes Dallas Willard, who, who said this. My central claim in this book is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing. By following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. That's, that's really interesting. You know, we pull out, bring out the WWG bracelets again if we need to. But that's, that's really interesting. He says, if we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. Okay? He says, we can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in. By arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his father. That's beautiful. Here's, here's something you can do this week. I would, I would encourage you to do this if you have time. Read the Gospels, or, or even just one. Read Matthew. Take Matthew, read it, or Mark, um, any of them. And as you're reading it, just, I mean, read quickly through it or have, get it, you know, an audio Bible, whatever. And anytime we're told something that Jesus did, he did something. Okay, he healed this person. Jesus healed a man, you know, write it down. Anything he did. And then take a look at your list and see if you can identify spiritual practices that Jesus himself embodied. I do think that that's a helpful guide to see. What did Jesus do in his life? If it was important for him to do, you know, it was always surprising to me to see that Jesus like, uh, uh, spent time by himself. You know, solitude. 
And that's important, that was important for, for him for various reasons, you know, and for us it may be a little bit for different reasons. But notice the practices of Jesus. I think that'd be really helpful. Now, a couple of things I want us to, to take away here. First, you have to see through all this language. No one coasts into godliness. It ain't going to just happen for you one day, okay? You're not just going to wake up and be godly. You're not just going to wake up one day and... And just be like Jesus in the way that you live. If every single day you're gossiping with a coworker, all of a sudden you're not just going to have this profound compassion and mercy for the people at work. It's, it just, that's just not how it works. We have to train ourselves for godliness. We don't, we don't just get there accidentally. Sanctification is what's in view here. In justification, God does the work. He unilaterally declares us to be righteous because of the work of Jesus in our place. Sanctification is different. It doesn't work like that. It requires effort on our end. We have to work, toil, strive, and train. There are other passages. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Do you know what Paul said there? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary. So God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Then what does he say? On the contrary. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was, that was with me. Notice the theme here, this intersection. Toiling and grace. Okay, Colossians 1, 29. Paul says there, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Isn't that interesting? Paul's the one working. He's the one training. He's the one fighting for godliness. But it's with the energy, it's with the grace of God, his energy in and through me. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Who's working? The Christians. Work out your own salvation. Train yourself for godliness. But then what does he say? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In each of these verses, we see this intersection of God's grace and our effort. God's grace, our works. God's grace, our training. God gives us grace. We work out our own salvation for the purpose of godliness. Again, this isn't in the realm of justification. We're not in a partnership with God to save ourselves from our sin. We are in a partnership with God to become like him in this life. This is how we become godly. That's the first thing I want you to take away from this. Second, spiritual habits are the path toward godliness. That seems abundantly clear to me from this passage. He goes on to, to actually exhort Timothy. I want you to look at verses 13, 15, and 16 in 1 Timothy 4. This is what he says there. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Notice his word choice there. Devote, practice, persist. This is the language of training. This is the language of discipline. This is the language of habits. If we're going to become godly, and if godliness results from an intersection of God's grace and our effort, I think we can say that spiritual habits are the training regiment for our godliness. 
Now, another book you need to get, if you haven't gotten this one, is a book called Habits of Grace. So write that down if you don't have that book. You need to get it. It's, it's written by a, a man named David Mathis. David Mathis wrote Habits of Grace, and that's what he calls uh, Christian practices, like Bible reading and prayer and fasting and the various uh, other practices we have. He calls them Habits of Grace. This is what he says in the book. Typically, the grace that sends our roots deepest. Now follow him here. The grace that sends our roots deepest truly grows us up in Christ, prepares our soul for a new day, produces lasting spiritual maturity, and increases the current of our joy streams from the ordinary, or or from our joy, sorry, I had this written wrong, from our joy streams from the ordinary and unspectacular paths of fellowship, prayer, and Bible intake, given practical expression in countless forms and habits. While these simple habits of grace may seem as unimpressive as everyday switches and faucets, through them, God regularly stands ready to give his true light and the water of life. Now that's beautiful. Opening your Bible to read it seems so ordinary. But so is a light switch. You know, turning the faucet on in prayer. These habits of grace, this is how God chooses to work in our hearts to conform us to the image of his son. Now this perspective of of habitual training is helpful for two reasons. First, it gives us clarity about Christian and church practices. It gives us the why behind the what. So we, we have some stuff planned this year as, as, uh, as a church. The elders had their retreat this past weekend. It was wonderful. Um, we uh, you know, got some stuff down um, that we're going to be doing. But you're not going to benefit from it if, if you don't really understand why we're doing it. It, it's, it just won't help you the way that it's designed to help you. Why do we read scripture, teach scripture, sing gospel-saturated songs, fellowship together, serve in the nursery even, and have prayer gatherings? Why do we do all that? For godliness. Why should we develop habits of fasting, resting, serving, evangelizing, giving? For godliness. This perspective of, of developing habits and training, it gives us a new perspective on all the things that we do. But the second thing it does is it gives us comfort when we don't want to do anything spiritual. Those days are going to come. Don't want to go to church today. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to serve. I don't want to be around any other Christians. Don't want to do it. This perspective is helpful. Because how many times, if you're training physically, would you wake up in the morning and say, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to eat this. I don't want to. But your perspective, seeing the end, knowing what you're heading toward, causes you to just get your butt out of bed and go to the gym, right? I'm talking to myself, you know. Um, Or eat the food that you don't want to eat because you know you need it. You know it's good for you and you see the end. The same is true spiritually. You're not going to want to read the Bible. You're not going to want to pray or come to church or go to life group. But the perspective of training through spiritual habits helps us remember that the Christian life requires the discipline to do what is good for us even when we don't want to. And I really believe that's why Paul gave Timothy this counsel. 
He knows that Timothy will struggle. He knows that he'll be burdened. So he has to say, Timothy, keep getting up. Keep going to the gym. Why? Because this is the path to become what God wants us to become, just like his son. Uh, Katie, are you still in the room? There she is. Okay, I want you just to pass these out to everyone. There's a sheet that you're going to receive. You could just give some to each row. And if anyone wants to help her, maybe get some to the other side over there. Jason, you're the perfect one. That's that great. That was actually a test, Jason. She asked me to do that. Uh, so I want to see if Jason's going to step up and, and pass this sheet out. I want you to take a look at that. Feel free to, to work on it now as I walk you through it. If not, just pay attention, work on it later. Um, this is a sheet that is from a resource called The Common Rule. Um, the Common Rule is a book. There's a website. They have lots of resources to help with developing healthy spiritual habits. Uh, I've benefited a lot from it uh, in the past. This sheet is, is particularly important. Um, th this helps us identify the roles that we have in life, who we are. Who are you? You know, okay, well, you're, you have a, you're a Christian. You're a Christian, you're a worker, you're a mom, you're a dad, you know, what, whatever it is that you are. You put all your roles down there, and then you fill out the rest of it to help you intentionally become what you need to become. Is there a particular habit that you need to start this year? Here, here's what I want you to do with that, if you are writing it down. Here's, here's how I would encourage you to start this. Because I want to encourage you to begin spiritual habits, like prayer, like Bible reading, I can't just tell you to do that and you say, yeah, you right, Pat, that's right. I need to pray more this year. That ain't going to do nothing. I'm sorry. Like, it just won't. It won't do anything for me either. We need a plan for how we're going to actually do it. And I'm not going to give you a plan. I'm not going to make it for you because I don't know what your, your life is like. But this is a way for you to identify how you, the steps you can take, the habits that you need to put in place. Because I can't just say, hey, here's the habit you need to have. Wake up every single morning, and before you get on your phone or before you do anything else, open your Bible and read it. That doesn't work for all of you. There's no way. I've got to be honest with you, that barely works for us. I can't just first thing in the morning, unless I want to wake up at 4.30, and that ain't happening. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. So, you know, we all can't have the same habits, but we all need to be building these habits into our lives. Here's what I want you to do. Do you see where it says roll on the far left side over there? There are all these blanks. Here's what I want you to put down in, in each of them. I want you to put in the first one, hearer of the word. Hearer. H-E-A-R-E-R. -E -E hearer of the word. That's an identity. That's a role. That's, that's who you are. I'm a hearer, a receiver of God's word. I'm a hearer of the word. And then as, I want you to fill the rest of that out for the sake of Bible reading habits, Bible reading habits, what, whatever it is, however that you need to fill that out. I'm going to send the full resource to you this week in an email. Uh, if you're not subscribed to our email, just uh, let me or let Katie know. We can fix that for you. But hearer of the word. This is who you are. You receive God's word. Now, based on that, what goals do you want to set this year to develop a habit of hearing God's word? Okay, second, the second role. If, if you're a guy, son of God. If, if you're a, a woman, uh, daughter of God. So son or daughter of God. Put it, put it in the second blank there. That's where your prayer habits will be planned out. 
So plan your prayer habits for this year. Do it. There's a piece of paper right in front of you this week. Take some time and make a plan for how you are going to develop habits of prayer. What are the things you're going to do quarterly? What are you going to do monthly? What are you going to do every single week? And what are you going to do every single day? It could be as simple as every single day I'm going to voice one sentence prayers. Every day, just one sentence I'm going to voice. Or every day I'm going to read a historic prayer. Maybe you get a book, you know, that, that has some prayers in it. All right? The, the next blank. The next blank. Brother or sister in Christ. Brother or sister in Christ. These are the relationship habits. Okay? So how are you going to develop habits of building relationships with people in the church this year? What are you going to do? What's your plan going to be? Because it's not enough to just say, ah, oh, man, I just don't feel really close to anybody. What are you doing? You know? What, what's, like, what, what, what's helpful? Man, I don't know. I just, every time, uh, uh, you know, I, I come to church and, and, you know, I have such great conversations with people and I wish it lasted longer. I wish, I wish that I could do. It's like, okay, well, what's a plan? And it's going to look different for everybody. Some of you are going to be able to, you know, put something down there and you're seeing people every day. For some of you, your goal is going to be, once a week on Sunday morning, I am intentional about, about talking to people. Because some of you are more introverted like I am, and that's not, it's not easy for you. And, and it's harder for you to, to speak with people. But it, the, the habit of building relationships is so important for us to be built up in Christ together. So make a plan for it, okay? So brother or sister in Christ. Worshipper, in the next blank. Worshipper. This is your corporate worship habit. So make a plan. Make a plan with your family, with, with uh, uh, your friends, whoever you need support from, and make a plan for how, how often are we going to be attending worship this year? What are the dates we know we're not going to be in town? And, and let's make sure that around those dates, we're at church, because it'd be really easy. For, I mean, it's just so easy to miss church, it's, you know? And then you go a while without it, and, and you get out of the habit. What is that habit going to look like for you? Okay? And then in the last one, and there are many things you could put. Many things you could put there, and I want to encourage you to, to use this as you see fit. But the last one I would encourage you to put is pilgrim or sojourner. Pilgrim or sojourner. I couldn't just say pilgrim. I can't say the word pilgrim without thinking of the hat, you know. Um, so I included sojourner in there as well. Maybe you'd rather have that. It essentially means the same thing, that we are journeying through this world. And it is weary and it is difficult. And we are beaten down all the time. So this is habits of rest. Sabbath. Are you resting or are you just working nonstop and then Sunday's just as busy as it can be and then you start, up, start over again? Are you intentionally resting? What kind of habits can you form there? Uh, use this. Use this resource to, to develop these healthy habits for the sake of your training spiritually. This is a way for you to get in the gym. This is better than me just saying, hey, here's a Bible reading plan that you have to do. That may not work for you. But, but maybe this will help you develop some of these habits. Okay, uh, last thing. Uh, we, we can't lose sight of this. As you have this sheet of paper in your hand, as you uh, hopefully see the importance of pursuing godliness and the steps that you can take to get there, what should be your fuel? What should be your motivation to get there? What, what keeps you going? And do you know what a lot of us are going to be tempted to be motivated by? Guilt guilt. Why do you read the Bible every day? I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I don't. Oh, that's extreme. Well, why, why do you read the Bible every day? 
I'm genuinely afraid that God might not love me if I don't. That's less extreme. Maybe a little more relatable. Maybe you feel like you're not in the favor of God. You know that, you know that awkward feeling whenever you know somebody and you've, you've had a relationship with them, but you haven't seen them for a long time, and it just feels awkward to even look at them? Anybody else? Is that just me? Am I, am I just weird? You know, and you just kind of like, you're like, oh, man. Because you, know, you just feel the awkwardness of like, are we still good? Are we still on, you know, on good terms? We just, I, did I do something? Did you do, I, you know, the awkward. And you ever feel that way with God? Like you haven't prayed in a long time. You haven't, you haven't been in the word that much. You feel like you're not doing much. And so you just, ah, there's this tension there you feel. And so the guilt of that just overwhelms you. And that's what keeps you going. That is not a good motivation. The gospel is. Look what Paul says here. After, after telling Timothy, work your butt off, Timothy. Get in the gym. Train yourself for godliness. This is what he says in verse 10. This is why we toil, he says. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Hope in the gospel is the fuel for our pursuit of godliness. We toil, we strive, we train, not out of an effort to earn God's favor, but from the security that we already have God's favor. This is the end for which we toil and strive. This is why we're going to train this year. This is why I want to encourage you to get in the spiritual gym and develop these habits of Bible reading and prayer not to impress God or, or keep yourself true, but because you have your hope set on the living God who saves sinners.